Hi, this is Wayne Klockner, Executive Director of the American Birding Association, and time is running out to make a gift to support the ABA before the end of 2023. By making a gift to the ABA, you're providing us with the resources we need to continue producing world-class stories from inside the world of birding, like the ones you've heard here on the American Birding Podcast. You'll help us continue building ABA Community and the ABA Community app, a place for birders to discuss all things birding and get advice and ID help from community experts on the go. And you'll help us continue producing birding and North American Birds magazines with in-depth information and stories from the world of birding and bird conservation. Make a gift before December 31 by going to aba.org appeal or by calling 800-850-2473. Your gift will help the birding community grow and thrive. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. We are here at the end of the year. Time for taking stock, for putting some polish on the end of your year list. The time, it seems, for chasing Christmas bird count rarities. And the time here on the American Birding Podcast where we look forward to our eighth year of producing this show. Where has the time gone. Thanks, of course, to all of our guests over the last 12 months. I truly could not have done it without your experiences, your talents, your books, and studies and passion for birds and birding. Thanks to my colleagues at the ABA, those who work with me week in and week out on this project, but also those who do other things that make a small nonprofit like the American Birding Association run. We all wear many hats in addition to the ones given to us by our job titles and where those projects intersect with mine. I'm always grateful for your professionalism and your support. And thanks, of course, to all of you out there listening for becoming a part of a growing birding community through this podcast and through the ABA. I've said it many times before, but it is always satisfying to encounter podcast listeners in the real world at birding festivals, at rare bird stakeouts, at ABA events, or just randomly out in the field. That does happen from time to time. We have an exciting 2024 planned with some new features, maybe an opportunity to do some special additional episodes for ABA members in addition to the 50-odd ones we'll produce for the regular feed in the coming year. We'll be adding stuff, not removing stuff from what we already produce. No worries there. Here's where I do the official part and say that we're in the middle of our annual year-end fundraiser. I know you are getting a lot of this right now, but anything you can give to the ABA this time of year to set us up for a great 2024 is greatly appreciated. You can find info on how to do that at aba.org slash appeal. We will be kicking off 2024 with a live bird of the year reveal on January 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time on our Facebook and YouTube accounts. Please join us. It will be a fun one. My colleague Greg Neese, who hosts the What's This Bird Live program every other week with me, will be my co-host there. We will have guesses for the bird of the year. We will welcome the artist briefly. It's going to be a good time. We hope you can join us. Anyway, now on to the show. It's the last this month in birding of 2023. Nick Lund, Sarah Swanson, and Mo Steich talk artificial intelligence and birding, light pollution, and a parrot love story for the ages. All after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of December 2023. Tis the season 
when Christmas bird count-related intensive searching tends to turn up exceptional birds, including state first records in Georgia. That was precisely the case as the state's first couches kingbird was discovered on the Augusta CBC in Richmond County. Even in an exceptional year for vagrant flycatchers, couches kingbird is one of the rarer species in the east, though they have been moving northward along the western Gulf Coast in recent years, so perhaps we will see more in the near future. An odd young gull in Amarillo, Texas, was originally discovered in November, but only recently confirmed as that state's first yellow-footed gull. That species is primarily found around the Gulf of California in Mexico, and for years was only known in the ABA area from a small colony around the Salton Sea in Southern California. The last decade has seen yellow-footed gulls following the Colorado River Basin as far north as Southern Nevada, and wanderers have been discovered of late in New Mexico in 2021, and now Texas in the east and in the central California coast in the west. And a cherry on the top of what has been an extraordinary year for Florida's official bird list. A brewer's sparrow was photographed in Palm Beach County, Florida. This is another species that has seen an increasing pattern of vagrancy in the east in the last half decade with records in recent years from Virginia, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New York, and New Brunswick, owing in part to increased attention by birders, especially those with cameras, and probably also to more regular drought conditions in the interior west. Those are the major highlights for this past week, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org rba. You can also follow along with all the rare bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. 2023 is coming to a close, but we've got one more go around with the This Month in Birding panel. I've invited some birding friends here to tie a seasonally appropriate bow on the year that was. Let's introduce them now. Your friend in mine, the author of the ABA Field Guide to Birds of Maine, among other things. The internet knows him as the birdist, but we all know him as Nick Lund. Hello, Nick. Howdy. How are you? It's great to have you back. It's good to be here. Thanks. She is the host, one of the hosts of the excellent Bird Shirt podcast, which is not its real name, but would probably be a real podcast that all of us here could guest on at some point. Welcome back, Mo Stike. Hi, Mo. Hi, thanks so much for having me. (laughs) It was our second go around on that. Anyway, uh, it's another Portland-centric show, but different Portlands. From the Western one, the author of Must See Birds of the Pacific Northwest and the best little book of birds, the Oregon Coast. Hello again to Sarah Swanson. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Nate. It's good to be back. It's great to see you. Let's jump in to the birdie conversation. AI, artificial intelligence, has come at last, perhaps, for birding. We are all familiar with being the person who frequently receives texts or is uh, tagged in various social media posts uh, from non-birders in our lives asking us to identify an odd picture of a bird that they found. The last few weeks have appeared, at least to me, uh, to be uh, increasing that in a significant manner, especially with the rise of these AI-produced bird photos that look very much like a real bird, if you didn't know any better, certainly. Um, I'm sure you've seen them. They've popped up on the ABA's What's This Bird Facebook group from time to time. I've been trying to squash them every time they do, but it is is an endless uh, stream of AI-produced bird images. I am here to ask you two questions. One, what do you think about these AI-produced images? Do you think that they are uh, good, in in whatever sense you interpret good? Or two, what does this mean for birding going forward? Do you think that we're going to see 
AI produced fake bird reports. Like at this point, it is is very clear that these birds are not real. But at some point, there might be, you know, the computers might come up with a with a real bird in a place that looks familiar to you. Uh, should we be on the lookout for that? What do you think? What do you what do you, what is your impression about AI in the birding landscape? Now, I don't think it's good. Uh, <laughs> Photos aren't I, good. I, good. I, I I mean it's 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 artwork, and so there's there's a whole yeah. world of people on Facebook who are sort of just commenting on pictures of artwork and saying this looks great, um, and that I I think is relatively harmless, although it does certainly throw unnecessary confusion into what is actual bird life looking like around the world and you know then there's a real argument i've heard of people being like why do we need this birds are cool enough as they are we don't need to make up other ones to do it make a great horned owl blue we don't need to there's they're already cool i'm wondering about is it harmful or not and i was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who's on a a bird records committee you know Mm. and they, they already you look at exif data on photos and sort of you know examine photos to be to test whether they're real or not and so that won't necessarily change but i i am waiting for the first case at least i've heard of of someone submitting a, an ai bird <laughs> i think that'll be a depressing new frontier in <laughs> bird records folks yeah perhaps and taking real photos of birds and putting them somewhere else like yeah. Nate was saying like i remember I think there was one down in Texas. Was it the stellar sea eagle or something weird that was oh, yeah. like found on a specific snag? And so they went back and were like, oh, yeah, we found this actual branch in the picture. Oh, and man. so are you saying yeah. that you doubt the Texas stellar sea eagle, Sarah? I would never. But <laughs> what if you took a picture of it from Maine and you put it, you know, on whatever branch you think would be cool to find it on and then you know it's still obviously the data is going to tell the story on that but i could go pretty far on facebook before somebody got a chance to to look at that there well that's actually too much effort to for something to go far on facebook like it's a pretty (laughs) low bar (laughs) true i also feel like for i mean you guys all have far more birding knowledge than I do, especially when it comes to like regionalized stuff. But if someone's new to birding, they really can't discern these images the way no, that people who've been doing it for years can. And like, yeah, what if a picture of the quote unquote, what was that one? It's like the bumblebee hummingbird or whatever that's mm-hmm. the size of someone's fingernail. What if someone saw that and legitimately like that was their spark bird? <laughs> spark oh, yeah. bird is like, <laughs> like an AI image, you know? Like Oh no. Well I mean I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> I, I guess I can't complain about any way that people get into actual birding but that would be a pretty funny spark bird uh, it'd, it'd be a good story at the very least <laughs> blade runner birding yeah, I, no doubt. <laughs> I, I for me uh, you know i i'm currently on the north carolina bird records committee and this this has actually come up we have seen uh, you know records that have been faked right. uh and it was not a an ai photo this was several years ago this was just a photo taken in a different location and passed off as a bird in North Carolina. Um, it was one of those close cropped photos where the background could be anything. It was a, it was a bird on a lake and you know, there are lakes everywhere. Uh, although there was uh, something to be said about the quality of the water on the lake, the chop on the lake that made it a little bit. <laughs> That's not North Carolina water. Well, you know, it was, the bird was apparently seen on a pond was, was, was purported to be seen on a pond. Uh, the photo was clearly not you uh, know, a small pond. It was a, you know, the still water of a small... Anyway, I'm going very deep into this, but it's not uncommon for people to try and... Well, it is uncommon, but it's not unknown for people to try and try and present these things as a, uh, as a, as a real bird. 
I guess, you know, what what do you get out of it? That's the, the big question. Do you do it just to troll the birding community? Do you do it to get clout? And then what do you do when that when you're found out and then you immediately lose whatever clout you even had before then? I don't I don't know. Is it worth it? I, I don't know. For serious birders, probably not. But I think we're we're certainly gonna see more of these weird you've seen the Santa bird. Uh, that's been going around on the internet with yeah. the uh, the crest of a cardinal and the face of I don't know what a chicken to be a bald like a eagle or a chicken I don't Eek. know yeah. yeah it's it's a weird bird it doesn't look real to me because I know birds but it's fooled other people I I, I that was sent to me yesterday morning I woke up go. in bed and I saw it and I reverse image searched it which is what uh-huh. I usually do for birds I don't know you know could have been I'm sure it was not real, but it could have been some morph or something and nothing came up. And I said, Oh, that's real. And then I looked closely and it was, Oh, it's got three legs and it's got snow <laughs> perched on its tail for some reason. Um, but it's a three toed woodpecker. It's mostly more work for people to deal with the father. That's the annoying thing is that like, you know, for people like you on a records committee or people like me, who's, you know, uh, you know, get sent bird stuff all the time. Like all birders do. Now the onus is on us to have to investigate this stuff. And it's like, God, can I just get some breakfast? I think I'm just waiting, and now I feel like I'm just tempting fate. But someone's going to do it with an ivory-billed woodpecker. We know oh, yeah. See it. I mean, I'm almost like less scared about these things that look super artificial and more worried about the things like the stellar seagulls, like a great example, too, of the ones that really test the boundaries of what really experienced or like scientific people are looking at um, mm-hmm. or trying to deduce as real or fake. Well, I will say that the one thing that we look for in a records committee and that, you know, all birders who are interested in, in recording rare birds or vagrants or whatever should do is put your camera on burst mode because yeah. you, when you look at the X, the XF data, which is the information that is assigned to a photo by your camera when you take a photo, if you have a bunch of photos that are sequential, yeah. that's a hard thing for AI to do. That's a hard thing for someone to fake. I mean... Yeah. You couldn't put in the time and effort to fake a single photo. You're probably not going to put in the time and effort to fake a series of six photos. And so when you present all of those, even if they're terrible and blurry, if they're close enough to the one great shot you get of the bird, then that's evidence that it's actually there. I remember someone a couple of years ago trying to fake a record mm-hmm. and they had one image of the bird. And part yeah. of the question was, so like you, f- you followed this bird for like an hour crawling on your belly and you got one you photo. Got one photo. <laughs> Where are the bad photos? Like yeah, we uh, all take bad photos for every good photo that we take. There are 15 terrible photos. If you're, if you're lucky. Yeah. That's um, a good ratio so for me. Pre- present those terrible photos in there too, because that's evidence that you actually saw the bird pro tip. Pro tip. <laughs> Pro tip for all you cheaters out there. That's right. Would be cheaters. <laughs> so put in the time to fake six photos. <laughs> oh man, look at all those notes. Oh no, it's just it's just a little bit of notes. Um it's <laughs> it's kind of early here in Oregon. So, you know, yeah. I need my notes. <laughs> That's right. The sun rose 12 minutes before we started recording. Oh, today. really? Okay. You're high, yeah, high latitude as well as, uh, yeah. as West Coast. <laughs> so speaking of nighttime, uh, artificial light at night is a top predictor of bird migration stopover density. This was an article that came out this month in Nature Communications uh, from some folks at Colorado State. And it caught my eye because of all the attention that uh, lights out campaigns have gotten during bird migration. Uh, Portland Audubon's been doing a lot with this, and I know that other folks have as well. Um, and then the infamous mass bird collisions uh, with mm-hmm. urban buildings uh, during this most recent migration 
time. So I thought it was a pretty timely article. Um, it's a really large scale article. They used remote sensing methods to look at the entire continental US. So they were looking at radar to look at where birds were flying out from in the morning. And that's how they were looking at stopover density. And they looked at both spring and fall migration, did some interesting um, contrasts with that. And honestly, the Pacific Northwest did not uh, come out looking awesome. Um, <laughs> there's all these, you know, it's like a heat map, all these like amazing bright lights. And then the Pacific uh, Northwest, yeah. the whole West Coast is just like crickets. Um, oh, well. So then they looked at relative stopover density, uh, kind of compared to surrounding areas all across the country and made kind of a heat map of that. So like these particular places have especially high stopover density compared to surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. And then they did all kinds of wild statistics that I don't know, but you know, just looking at what factors jump out as being kind of driving these uh, higher stopover densities and things they found like forest cover, uh, you would expect. But sky glow was one of the things that had a consistent positive association with this higher stopover density. And so um, they talked about how light pollution might be an ecological trap, bringing birds into areas that are suboptimal or outright dangerous for them. But are they there because of the light or is there some other association? Yeah. That's something That's that you question. can't necessarily pick out in a you know correlation study. So there could be that important ecological regions also end up with people in them, which right. also end up with a bunch of light. So that's kind of one of the big questions left at the end of this study. And then, so if you were able to reduce light pollution in these areas, would the birds redistribute to other places or hmm. are they there because there's a river, for example, and then yeah. that's why the lights are are there. So yeah, it's a, an interesting study that leaves a lot of questions still as, you know, a good scientific study does, um, but make some very cool maps and some things to think about as far as light pollution. My takeaway from this is that I need to get some giant floodlights and take them to my <laughs> local patch on a heavy migration night and shine them directly up into the sky. And then I will go there the next day and get lots of, lots of birds. That I wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, everybody's favorite new hobby: ecological trapping. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, spotlight <laughs> trapping. Yeah, the, this is a fascinating paper and one with real policy implications. I think uh, I I run a group called uh, Bird Safe Maine through my work at Maine Audubon, which works to uh, address uh, bird glass collisions in Maine. And you know, it's a real back and forth in the science about do we focus on the glass. Or do we focus on lights or both or to what, you know, what of each, you know, there, there are schools, you know, there are people who tell you that it's the glass that is causing the problem and that we, we should worry less about the light. Um, I think there are some folks for as successful as a lot of the lights out programs are. Sometimes there's a worry that if a, if a building chooses to turn off their lights instead of treating their glass or instead of building in a safe way that they're sort of getting off easy and, and not solving the problem. And so the more we know and the more information we have about how lighting plays into this, the better we can tailor our 
policy responses to actually make positive change. Um, and there's more and more stuff coming out all the time. Remember when I started BirdSafe work, when I worked with a uh, volunteer for Lights Out DC in Washington, DC, um, people thought that really lights were the number one problem and, hmm. and glass was sort of something that was coming up as um, uh, uh, an understanding. I think that has shifted recently where it's really focusing on glass more than lights. And so this paper may be balancing us back a little bit. So it's really sort of a, a, a an important frontier, I think, in this in this work. Yeah. The other thing that it made me think about is the quality of bird habitat in cities, because mm-hmm. if we're bringing birds in here and then that's then their refueling station, right? When they're hanging out during the day. And so, you know, what kind of food is available to them in these brightly lit areas that they're drawn to. I think it's also difficult when you think about the way we can expose people to birding. I lived in Chicago when I got into birding. Maybe light pollution has something to do with that. Like, obviously, it's a huge flyaway zone. But, you know, when we think about urban birding and like being able to get people, it's so much harder to control the policy around it. But if we are able to build that advocacy as a result of having the birds more present at certain times a year, like, could we use that to leverage as an advantage for getting people invested in changing the policy? Mm. Could it kind of be circular in that way? Yeah. Yeah. The circular argument that the chicken and egg aspect of it um, was definitely interesting too. But I'm glad that you brought that up, Sarah, because the first thing that, that struck me when you were talking about this is, do we put cities in bird habitat? Like I'm looking at the maps here. There are a lot of you know bright blue that indicates stopover density. In the Mississippi River Valley, well, there's a lot of habitat in the Mississippi River Valley. And of course, Mississippi River Valley is an important bird flyway. Birds use the river to some extent to orient south. Um, And it's also one of the most critical transportation infrastructure for the United States and has been for the entire history of the United States. And even before the prehistory of the United States, people used um, the rivers as transportation. So which, which one is causing these birds to congregate in these places who knows it's it's yeah today in studies that you can never you can never run because you can't you know remove memphis from <laughs> its its location or it's st louis or chicago for that matter um we'll, we'll never know but yeah it's it's an interesting question to to ponder which was there first the bird migration the cities the light the habitat well it actually sort of leads into my story actually pretty well if i don't want to okay cut us off but you know uh, my story is is basically about scientists at uh oklahoma state and ohio state using ai and coupled with ebird data mm-hmm. to get to better models photos of birds to create the weirdest <laughs> photo of a bird they can find <laughs> science's most weird photo four legs on this thing um, wow no but it's it's you know if there is a positive part of AI, which, hey, I've yet to see it, but I keep an open, open mind. Um, can we get more fine scale migration data is what they're trying to get is really predict like individual bird migrations um, uh, or, or just get a, the, you know, a, a better sense of where individual birds move or migratory birds move on the smaller scale, because that can hopefully help answer some of these questions like are birds moving in certain areas because of the geographic conditions or because of another condition with the city or or what and what are some of the more fine scale responses you know back to the the bird safe main work it's been fascinating 
we monitor the city of Portland, Maine during migration to see how birds are striking windows. But we've learned a whole lot about how migratory birds move through the city. You know, Portland, Maine is this peninsula and birds get trapped on the peninsula and then sort of move from vegetation to vegetation, wherever that is, um, to try to get out, you know, to try to find food and safety through the city. And and so we've established this sort of fine scale map of, of really like micro hotspots um, that are incredibly important to these birds, but are not necessarily not something you would know unless you really studied that on that level. And so can we use AI somehow to expand that micro <laughs> habitat you know, understanding? Um, I don't know, maybe, but if we can, it'd be, it's really important to understand, uh, you know, not just broadly what things are important for birds, but more specifically in specific areas, how can we target policies or, or treatments or something to those specific areas and actually make it make a big difference? Um, I, I should say too that Scott Loss at Oklahoma State is one of the leaders on this paper, and he, of course, is uh, behind the most famous bird glass collision studies that that people cite all the time. So, shout out to him. It's interesting because I asked uh, ChatGPT uh, before this conversation started: Is AI taking over birding? Great. Um, and it did. It noted bird behavior analysis. Um, AI can help analyze bird behavior patterns such as migration routes or feeding habits by processing large amounts of data collected from various sources, um, which is very vague, but also true in a manner of speaking. So, you know, at least AI is self-aware to that extent that extent i don't know whether i should be worried about that or, uh... <laughs> that's the last thing i want yeah. <laughs> i love when ai praises ai yes what are you talking about yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's all i have really to say about it but i just think it's exciting to think of some positives that we could gain from a finer grain finer scale understanding of exactly how birds through move through specific landscapes or are drawn to specific landscapes um because then we can actually come to specific buildings with solutions or specific yeah. faces of buildings, you know, make, make, make change. It is interesting the extent to which AI has sort of a, um, provides a solution to the big data problem, right? Because we are, we are in a world where uh, eBird has millions upon millions of observations and it's hard for an individual human or even the, even the superhumans at Cornell Lab of Ornithology to synthesize all that data in a manner that makes sense. And I guess, you know, maybe we're using AI as sort of a, a term interchangeably with big data or, right. or right. cloud computing or whatever you want to do it. I, I think probably a little bit there, but it is, it is a useful way to, within, you know, very specified parameters to take this monumental amount of data that has been created by the widespread use of eBird uh, and Merlin and all, all that stuff and, and turn it into something useful. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, why not? Why not? As long as it doesn't uh, start faking birds for us. Um, yeah. I have no, like eBird uh, becomes sentient or uh, and suddenly wants to put itself at the top of all the right. uh, top 100 checklists for every county and starts manufacturing bird sightings. That's that's probably where we will be uh, most concerned. But for the most part, I think it. That's when it'll get personal. That's when I'll get pissed off. Everything <laughs> exactly. else is fine. But if it takes me off the top 100, then it's then we got problems. I wonder if AI could make a convincing eBird checklist. Oh, that would be. I'm going to ask Chat GTA. Don't know. We don't tempt it. Don't even put it in the database. Don't. I think I'm more concerned that like 
three fourths of our conversation about been about AI, and you just like immediately have ChatGPT already open on your desktop. Like, <laughs> I think oh, preparation, preparation for this conversation. I want to make sure that I could, you know, so we didn't have any of this awkward fumbling with the keyboard. I had everything ready to go. I also asked AI, uh, ChatGPT, can AI be used to fake bird sightings? And it did bring up all the things that oh we talked God. about. So maybe uh, I should be worried about AI coming for our jobs. Can we get another camera on you to make sure yeah. that this is what I'm seeing is real? Can you send no. me your XF data, please? Bird. But can it uh, be on a podcast and talk about no, articles convincingly? It has um, my sort of sparkling uh, personality to be able to. We're not there yet. We're not to max headroom. Yeah, no, you're. Yeah, you're right. Not far to go, but you're not right. Far to go, probably. <laughs> well, wait. There was that one clip where there is somebody who's building AI voice replication, and it like, yeah. The, the news guy interviewed himself. He's like, "That sounds just like me," and that's exactly yeah. what I was. <laughs> I know. I I I, re- I recognize that every time I put out one of these podcasts, I'm putting my voice and my perspectives out onto the the cloud into the world. It's too late. And so probably it's more too than late. most birders, I think that. Chat GPT or, or AI or any of those could probably come up with a convincing bird podcast host persona uh, that would eventually come uh, for my job. And maybe I should, you, I just should invite it to guest host one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Could stay could in bed for the day. That. That'd be great. Yeah, that's right. You know, when I'm not feeling it. Yeah, yeah I'm done. Let's talk, about, let's talk about more fun stuff. I don't want to talk about yeah, this. I was going to say, typical well, to me. Yeah. The article I've selected has nothing that brings value to society aside no, from like good me. vibes. Bird good. love is uh, is valuable. Mo. It is valuable. We all celebrate it. For all my Swifties out there, this is a love story where the birds cannot say yes, and it's oh, very no. tragic. Oh no. <laughs> no! I know it's so sad, but this is a story about two macaws in Rio de Janeiro, Romeo and Julieta. Didn't they make a cartoon about this? Uh, yeah, except that those were wild macaws, which apparently don't oh, yeah. exist in Rio. <laughs> I, I mean, I learned a lot about this article that had nothing to do with the actual content of the article. So I think that that makes it <laughs> nice. But <laughs> Yeah, so this is a story about two um, macaws, <clears throat> one of which lives in captivity. He has one eye, can't be released back into the wild because that's inhumane. He probably wouldn't survive. So he lives in the aviary at the Rio de Janeiro Zoo. And then it's also a story about Julieta, who is the only wild macaw in the entire Rio de Janeiro area that is in love with him. And so it's not humane to capture her and put her into the aviary. These two birds have been flirting through the netting of this aviary for 23 years. And literally cannot consummate their affection for each other in any way shape or form but they'll like feed each other through the net the zookeepers are like this is wild we've never seen anything like this before and perhaps the biggest lie is how much the the macaw is used in marketing of rio as a as a city and they haven't been there for 200 years (laughs) except for this one bird that no one knows where she came from um probably released from some you know, residential area. And so it's just about how these two birds and people will like come to see them and watch them interact with each other. And macaws mate for life. They hardly ever recouple if they lose a mate. So these two birds are really just in a bad place with their energy, I'm sure, because they can't ever get close to each other. So it's a 
tale of forbidden romance. It's a tale of fidelity. It's also a tale of marketing schemes when it comes <laughs> when it comes to birding. <laughs> um, but I just I found this to be like both heartwarming and heartbreaking. I thought it was worth calling out uh, this month as we we close out the year. I love it. I'm I'm a little I'm reading here because it would violate the Brazilian it would violate Brazilian legislation to cage her, and because it would breach zoo policy and ethical standards to free him. That's why they're staying apart. Hey, Zoo, loosen up a little bit, baby. You got love <laughs> on your hands. Can we can we change the zoo policy? Is this what is this the Constitution? Yeah. Get them there. Yeah, for an hour, like just let them hang out. I mean, I guess it's nice. Conjugal, if, I mean, yeah, conjugal visit. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. It's not That's even. What it would be. It's it's. I mean, the fact that it's an avian, just the netting that also is good. They speculated that one of the reasons that Julieta might have ended up there in the first place is because even though the zoo is so centrally located, it's got all the vegetation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Zoos are frequently I mean, good places for bird, wild birds in addition to. Yeah. It's wild. like animal kingdom at Disney world, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of vegetation there and a lot of birds end up there, even though they don't know what they're doing. Um, but it's just, I just think it's crazy that this single bird, where did she come from? She's been there for years, somehow has, evaded capture in those years and shows up every day to see her mate um i know it's sad there's such social birds (laughs) just let her in come on (laughs) she's a big deal she's not a wild bird she's a feral bird yeah that's right (laughs) yes yeah uh, blue and yellow macaw. Um, I'm, I'm pulled, I wasn't exactly sure of their range. They do actually come quite close to Rio de Janeiro. So they're although you know all these sightings in the vicinity of Rio de Janeiro are probably oh yeah. There's there's a big yellow spot, which is the feral population on eBird that is almost certainly uh, this bird. Loosen yeah. up, Zoo. Let them have their love. And what's the worst that happens? You get more macaws out of it, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. They did say they actually, I think early in their relationship, she had laid a brood that was like unfertilized. Wow. Oh my God. The tragedy, right? <laughs> oh, the heartbreak. Thanks, I feel like uh, this should be a Hallmark movie next year, but yeah, um, that's just me. And there was even a poem which I'm right. sure was even more poignant in the original language. But um, yeah, it's, it's a touching story. I know. Do it's we want to? Uh, this sounds like a heist movie for us to free the macaw. <laughs> you want to go down there and yeah. Ocean's Eleven our way into this yeah. zoo and cut the net? <laughs> I'm sure it's easy. It would not be Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. It would be like a 15 minute version <laughs> of it. We never find out how Flacco bringing a pair of scissors. Can we we get a hire? We'd assemble the team, and it would be the guy who let Flacco out, uh, <laughs> and then he he's the or she. Well, maybe we'll talk about this later. But that we've the, if I was the zoo, like we've see, learned from Flacco what attention you can bring onto yourselves by having this bird out there in the world. People love it. Fingers crossed that 2024 is the year that these two birds can finally uh, make something. I mean, we've all got plans for the new year. We've all got New Year's resolutions. I've been racking my brain for more Taylor Swift lyrics. Spending way too much time uh, Googling famous romance uh, movies so I could come up with some uh, macabre-based puns, but I couldn't come up with any. Macasa Blanca, that's the best I got. Um, <gasps> that's pretty good. But that's real good. Uh, Parrotsis Bride. No, terrible. Terrible. These are <laughs> awful. I'm like, not, not even trying here. Nodding Bill. Nodding no. Bill. <laughs> nodding <laughs> Bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm trying to, yeah. When when um, Parrot met Sally, mm, no, mm, no good. It's not pretty quite good. there. <laughs> the no beak the no beak dove actually, no beak. <laughs> dove dove actually. actually. okay yeah never That's... mind we don't need ai we don't no, need no, AI. <laughs> can, can chat gpt come up with this um in fact let me ask it real quick um, parrot related love, love story movies movie. beacon love love birds of a feather mm. flights of passion that's not bad actually I don't know if that's a romance movie or something. <laughs> no, tweet hearts. All right, maybe uh-huh. maybe they can do my job. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, let's move on to the question of the month for uh, December. It is the end of 2023. I want to ask you, what bird captured the spirit of 2023 the best? This can be an individual bird. It can be a species. For example, uh, perhaps you heard the news about John Oliver's uh, campaign to make the Australian crested grebe, the um, putaketeke, the official bird of the century, I want to say, in New Zealand. I don't know if that bird represents the century uh, very well, especially since we're very early in the century. I mean, how can you, how can you even tell? But anyway, uh, I, I, I've strained to find a reason as to why the Australia, Australasian crested grebe is the, the zeitgeist bird of 2023. But how far be it for me to argue with John Oliver. Um, he did make duck stamps a thing uh, briefly, if you remember that. So I'm asking you, what bird captured the spirit of 2023 the best? I, I'm looking for uh, hope in these okay. times this is a the, the I, I would say overall the it's a dour year people it's not just a ha- it's just people are feeling down um i want to push away from that um i want to escape from that uh and i think the most famous bird of the year the bird that provides us hope is flacco the eurasian <laughs> eagle owl in central park i don't yeah. care how people think about it i know blah 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 but this is a bird that escaped its confines and is thriving and making the best of its situation. Still, it's been Still. a year. Yeah. It's been, yeah. And it's out there and it's living its life and it's making the best of its circumstances. It's improving its circumstances. Um, and I just like, look, you got to find stories like that. If we're going to, we're going to keep on going and they are not that easy to find sometimes. And so shout out to Flacco, you know, um, do your thing. Do your thing. I'm proud of you. That's Beacon Brown. Beacon, what is it? Beacon Boundaries. Is that what we came up with? Breaking Boundaries, Beacon Brownies. Are you making a pun, Mo? Beacon Brownies? (laughs) Beacon Brownies? Yeah. I don't know if it's Brownies, but maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. I wouldn't be surprised. This guy can do everything. They'd be rat flavored, but like... But I just, um, I think it's a good story. And I, you know, there was sort of controversy, a lot of sort of noise about it when it was first came out. But I feel like that stuff has settled. And now it's just, a, it's got a fan club and it's it's pr- uh, providing inspiration for people. And it's just doing its thing, man. And I, and I got to respect that in this year of 2023, which hasn't provided a lot of other optimism. Uh, Flacco is my choice too. I'm going to have to scramble for a second one. I think I got something in mind. So I will... Uh, and, uh, 
pending uh Sarah does anyone know who's stealing it but yeah um, i should have just jumped in there no no, 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 no. Flacco's a great Flacco. choice in fact Flacco was in the news again uh a few weeks ago and i i you know debated putting Flacco the Flacco story on this uh this the document that we all are reading from uh because Flacco is like spreading out beyond central park so Flacco is, is right escaping the confines of its cage in the Central Park Zoo and now escaping the confines of Central Park itself, showing up on uh, you know, fire escapes in the Bronx, I suppose. Uh, apparently, it's, its nightly sojourns have taken it all the way up there. Um, who among us would not explore the broad world if that were available to us? So, yeah, Look, I, I think Fox is great. Maybe there's lots to do. The city's right. always, we're just going to stay in the city park. The never sleeps. Yeah. Owls don't sleep anyway, so <laughs> and that's the time it's out there. Look, yeah, that's right. There's clubs, there's restaurants, <laughs> there's everything you want. You can't just stay at Central Park. That's right. Yeah. So good, good on Flacco. Yep, Flacco. Good choice. Well, I mean, I think I kind of echo Nick's feelings about this year, and uh, <laughs> for that reason, I I think I'm gonna go crows. Yeah. Uh, crows, <laughs> adaptable. Yeah. Crows are adaptable. They are yeah. getting stuff done. Uh, <laughs> they spend part of the year looking like a hot mess and they're still just out there doing their thing they're just kind of the bird of the people uh sometimes i tell people they're the bird that we deserve uh when they ask me why there's so many of them in portland <laughs> um because that's, you get the bird for the habitat that you create and we that's get true. close um yeah. but you know they're they're just a cool bird. They're doing cool things if you stop and and notice, but nothing flashy, but they're they're there and they're trekking along. And they're yeah. often the first bird that I see for the new year. So I was we'll just see. gonna say I have had crow American crow as my first bird of the year uh, on a couple of different occasions. And uh, I always think about, yeah, we we should all be we should all do as well as crows uh, on that occasion. I like them better than like, uh, House bench, which is usually my first yeah. year. Mm, yeah, they're, they're also vaguely ominous and unsettling in a, in a way, <laughs> and are are sort of Definitely. harbingers. I'm not really sure what they are are harbingers of, but they're yeah. just sort of a harbinger. Um, yeah. And I think in one lesson in my life: if just stay away from harbingers of of any kind. <laughs> There's one around; just don't look at it. But yeah. but that does sort of thematically uh, follow the year. It feels like I think it's a great choice. What you got, Mo? I know this is like maybe a cop out but when i think about the dumpster fire of this year the, like the red of a cardinal really comes to mind to me yeah <laughs> little little flame like, up the, up of the couldn't head. have avoided yeah. it if i wanted to like always making itself known that's what my 2023 felt like <laughs> solid yeah more than cardinal good one um i don't know if you saw this story i'll, I'll explain it uh my choice to you there has been a yellow-headed Caracara, which is a bird that, oh, yeah. as far as I know, has not officially been accepted to the ABA checklist. But this one is quite a quite a year for yellow-headed Caracara. There was one uh, that was seen in Florida at the very beginning of the year. There was another one that was seen in uh, Texas at the beginning of spring of this year. So you know, this is a bird that's expanding. It's a bird that's coming northward out of its you know core range of northern South America. Now seen regularly as far north as Costa Rica, and, and you know, this year has been. Quite the yellow-headed Caracara year, but this most recent uh, yellow-headed Caracara that was reported in Florida was uh, the the story of its discovery is actually quite hilarious because it's been hanging out on Florida International University in Miami-Dade County, 
Uh, and it was first discovered by a, a person who posted it on the ABA Rare Bird Alert group um, because she was uh, at a meeting with her therapist and was just kind of hanging out, talking with the therapist. And this yellow-headed Karakara shows up outside the window. And there are photos of it staring into the window of the office. Talk about a harbinger. Talk about a harbinger. <laughs> uh, potentially the ABA area's third record of yellow-headed Karakara on a college campus trying to get into therapy. <laughs> it tried to better itself. Because aren't we all trying to better ourselves uh, little by so little, true. year by year? Uh, strikes me as a a bird that uh, captures the the theme of the year, the the, the spirit of the year, uh, especially well. So kudos to that yellow headed Karakara, not only making the jump from wherever it came from, uh, northern South America by way of the Caribbean, only to find itself in a therapist's office outside a therapist's office in Miami, Florida. Um, would that we all had. Uh, such a journey. Everybody wonders about vagrant birds, right? What's going on in their minds? What's going Uh, on in their minds? That's right. How did it get here? What's it thinking? I I think that's clearly a call for help. You you show up in a new place, you're a little bit confused, major changes in your life. It's always good to talk to somebody about it. So so get on that car and car. And clearly you're out for blood. Like I love (laughs) that it's a carrion eating bird. (laughs) I'm here to pick up everybody else. I know who I am. Yeah. Yes. I'm true to myself. And yeah. maybe I need to work on that. <laughs> so here I am to announce the official 2024 bird of the year, ABA bird of the year. Is that one yellow-headed car car, specifically the photo of the bird staring Cheers. in the window of the, the therapist's office. office. <laughs> maybe you've been making excuses about not going to therapy because, That's right. you know, but if this yellow-headed car car can, you know, travel this huge distance to get to therapy, you can probably figure out. You how can to do it there. too. Telehealth, That's right. baby. That's right. Okay. Hey, um, better help. not yet they haven't paid us yet that check hasn't cleared (laughs) (laughs) i guess we're reached the end of our conversation to me Um, yeah that that's that's a wrap thank you so much uh to nick sarah mo it's always a delight to talk to you and chat (laughs) gpt our special guest for the period ai uh for helping us get through this episode um, thank you to all three of you. I hope you all have a great end of the year. If you're doing any Christmas bird counts, I hope they're all very successful. Um, we'll see all three of you, hopefully, in the new year down the road. Uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year to you all. And uh, thanks so much. Wonderful. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Bye, everyone. Bye. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. Not only do you get to support community projects like the American Birding Podcast, but membership gets lots of great benefits, including magazines, discounts to partners like OM Systems, Beauty Books, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and many more. You can even give the gift of birding by gifting a membership to the birder in your life. You can find out how to do all of that at aba.org slash join or aba.org slash gift membership. Special shout outs this week to Sarah Love of Morro Bay, California, Athra Malko of Hamilton, Ontario, and Greg Patton and the Patton family of Green Bay, Wisconsin, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive producer of the podcast and executive director of the ABA is Wayne Klockner, whose favorite romance movie is the one about a small woodpecker and its love affair with capturing flying insects on the wing when Harry met Sally. 
technical production is by John Lowry, who always stops and watches his favorite 80s romance movie about prairie chicken Lex, Birdie Dancing. Additional help comes from Maggie Fitzgibbon and Greg Neese, who both, funnily enough, enjoy the quirky, mind-bending nocturnal romance, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Sawed Owl. You can find us online at ABA.org. On social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Blue Sky, we are at ABA Birds. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. We are taking next week off. I hope that it is okay with you. Thanks for listening. Bird Like Tom. See you next time. <laughs>